I think it's important to be a little bit scared or have a little bit of fear of what we're doing. We actually are all going through the same level of insecurity, no matter how successful we become. Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. And I just remember standing on a cliff in Ireland, chucking chips in the air. How on earth am I, what am I doing here? My dyslexia is my secret weapon and yeah. I use it every day. Do, do I welcome Josie or do you, Graham? Because we haven't think, really Well, got you've those. got the notes. I've I got mean, some I really good I notes. Can't, I can't compete with those. So Josie Paul, welcome to The Impostress. Thank you. Chairman and Chief Creative Officer of BBDO India. Hall yep. of Fame inductee of Advertising Club Calcutta, recently named in the top 10 most influential people in creativity in India, collected multiple Grand Prix at Cannes, sometimes the first in the category. Yet your enthusiasm to be on the imposterous is a bit questionable. And maybe that's because <laughs> I read somewhere recently that you like to consider yourself a trainee in the business of hope. So welcome to. The Impostress, I want to start with a story from the beginning that I've heard you tell a couple of times. Yeah. One of your first jobs, you're going yeah. to present. You turn up in the marketing departments there, you're expecting less people. You go with someone relatively junior, much like yourself at that time, to this presentation. Yeah. They don't like your work. Josie Paul, this idea is shit, they say. Maybe not those words. <laughs> you, you turn your feelings into actions and go to the window and say, I'm going to jump, which is kind of brave, but you were on the first floor. So you never really th thought, for the <laughs> listeners, you never thought that you were going to injure yourself, but you said, buy this idea or I'll jump. Is that true? Yeah, that's, that happened when I was 24, 25, yeah. So if this happened, what advice would you give yourself now? What would you say to Josie Paul on the windowsill now? Uh, I would say if you truly believe in your idea, you should be willing to lose for it, you know. And then the whole point of losing is so important to find something. So, yeah. But the thing is, when you do these things, you're not really thinking about all these mantras. It's, it's so spontaneous and you don't even know why you did it. It's like you're a mother, you know. You're trying to save your baby. That's all you're doing and whatever it takes. And, and that's what I would still say. To anybody who's young, to my junior self, all of it. Because I, I think it's um, I I think of that as a protest, and I wonder if a lot of your work is actually some kind of quiet man's protest, or maybe not so quiet. I wonder if you you know I don't know is there such a thing as protestatizing? I've heard of solvatizing. That's like yeah yeah quietness. I think uh, Michael you 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 touch something very deep. I mean it's uh it's a sense of. Like, what is authority? You know, you, you question these things. And when I, when I got into college, university, my first day, I used to stand first in school. My first day in college, I see a protest happening in college. And I don't even know what, is, what a protest means. I've stood first in school. I only understand what it means to study. But now I see a revolution happening in college. I say, hey, there's another world. And, and that world is saying, question the status quo. I was 15 and a half when I entered college. It was, it blew my mind. It, it was an epiphany that there is another way. And for me, that is what I started doing maybe in advertising. 
I carry that with me. There is another way and you can fight for it. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think that some of the, the best work is a protest uh, against something. It's it's a stance. It's a taking a strong point of view. And I just thought it was interesting and we'll talk about some of those campaigns later. So, Josie, yeah. I mean, th- this um, fascinating as your life is, and I know we could get caught up in um, the story of Josie Paul, which we will, but the, the purpose of this um, podcast is all around, um, I guess it's about confidence and insecurity and that dynamic that exists within this crazy world that we live in. And um, on, on talking to people, you know, we got ourselves in the job where we were on trial every day. You know, you have that story of, um, you know, you go up and you stand naked in front of people you don't know and say, yeah. am I good enough? And then, yeah, often you want to jump out of the window and props to you, you actually nearly did it. Most of us just think it. How do you find the confidence or the thick skin to sort of get through that? Because you're clearly incredibly passionate about your work. How do you keep going? The thing about doubt is that doubt is created because we are seeking approval. And, and And I find that when I'm seeking approval, I'm not myself. But when I'm expressing myself i'm all of me so i remember the you know my partner and i in early days when we were in low linters we did we did 52 campaigns that year because we said we'd do an idea a day a campaign a week and he, and we delivered it and of that two and a half or three campaigns got approved but those three campaigns really helped us become sort of known and we used to tell people we are being paid for our rejection because 49 campaigns were not approved. But we never did it for approval because we just loved what we were doing. So somebody is giving us a chance. Let's just express ourselves. So I feel doubt comes because we're seeking something from the other person. You can never control that. You can never control the context from which the person's coming. But you can, you can enjoy what you do. So I find confidence in expression. And often that can be embarrassing. But then that's what you live with uh, for the price you pay for pure expression. So I would say it's not confidence. It is just, fuck it, this is who I am, man. And I'm going to enjoy it. And, and, and then along the way, somebody likes something or somebody doesn't like something, that's cool. That's an interesting perspective. Obviously, the briefs come from the client or come from your creative director. So in most ways, you're doing it for them. But yeah. if I understand what you're saying is that actually the work you do is you're doing it for yourself. Yeah. And so, and you know, as you say, rather than seeking approval externally, seek approval internally. And if you've done work, which makes you happy and that you like, that's yeah. kind of enough. Yeah. And maybe everything else is a bonus. Yeah, because approval is a box, right? You're trying to yeah. place things in order and say, this is what it is. So let me take these boxes. You, you'll never be able to fly that way. You have to express and be wrong. And sometimes you're right and it actually flies above everyone else. I don't know if I'm making sense. You know, it's no, you are. No, you are. And it's, it's, it's a really interesting perspective on that whole thing, which is that actually, you know, the work you do, it is expression. And actually the, the sheer fact that you're getting paid to express yourself is pretty awesome anyway, regardless of what anybody thinks. <laughs> And then to be just purely hostage to what other people think, you're never going to get out of that box. I, I get that. Yeah. And, 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 and just like what happened in college when I had that moment of epiphany about what protest can be, I had a similar thing in Lowell Lintas when my creative chief, when he hired me, he said, I can't give you much money, 
but I can give you something that money can't buy. I give you the freedom to fail. And, and for me, I was 26, 27. And I said, what freedom to fail? My parents never said that. My teachers never said that. My friends never said, nobody had ever told me those three words. The moment he said, I give you the freedom to fail, I realized that he's saying, just do your shit, man. Don't worry about anything else. I'm there for you. Freedom to fail truly allowed me to fly. And, and my partner and I then just went berserk after that. Yeah, that's a really so, interesting thing too, isn't it? I think if someone gives you the freedom to fail, you're more likely to give that to yourself as well. One of the things yeah. we you know, worry about too often is not being good enough or even perfectionists. You know, yeah. something always could be better, so you make it better. But if you give yourself, if you, you know, get that from someone else, the freedom to fail, then I think that does relieve some of that pressure. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was just pure joy after that. It was mind-blowing. Three words can set you free. And on, the, on that um, freedom to fail perspective, um. One of the great things about this, as Michael was alluding to earlier, is that you research your guests. And obviously I've known your name and I've known your work for a very long time. I didn't know you started David. That's pretty awesome as a legacy, isn't it? Jesus. But the, um, on that freedom to fail thing, that resignation letter that you got your employees to sign has an essence of that, doesn't it? You know, the, the essence of, yeah. you know, the responsibility of six-year-olds. Six-year-olds don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they just create. They go out. They make mess. They make mistakes. Is that the you know that kind of creative freedom? Thinking like kids, is yeah. that something that you really champion and you think is that the heart of what you do? Yeah, it goes. It goes. It goes back to protest, right? I mean, even mm. when I even when I went to the Ogilvy board and I said, "Can we start David?" Because David Ogilvy chose the wrong end of his name. You know, Ogilvy is a name, while David is an ideology. And India was coming into its own and there was a spirit of challenge and it felt like the time was right. And this was June 2000. And, and, and I remember the entire office had that feeling, whether it was the interiors, whether I used to sit on a commode and have a bathtub next to me because I wanted people to feel a bit uncomfortable and playful at the same time. So as children, we are mostly free of conditioning, right? We all know that. The baggage of age and knowledge they tend to limit our ability to express. And I speak about express. Uh, we spoke about it before. But the child does not think of these things. Uh, you know, the child cuts through. The child is neither accepting or rejecting anything. She's simply expressing her individual excitement. That eyes of wonder, right? That There's no rejection and there's no acceptance, just play. And we say, what if play can lead to new things? So it was an experiment, a sweet, soft pop protest uh, of, of being a child. Because else we are running around, I think Pink Floyd said that, we're running around in a fishbowl of the same old fears, right? While the child just comes and breaks the bowl, man. And that's all it is. Break the bowl. When Josie Paul started David, he requested all new employees resign from adulthood. You did not receive an appointment letter, you were given a resignation letter which detailed all the things that you had to resign from and accept the responsibility and playful free thinking of a six-year-old child. Can I ask you then about freedom? You believe that there's a freedom in revealing and unravelling and stripping away the layers. 
And yeah. you know, uh, this idea of yours, which is which are acts not ads, and I'll confess yeah. that I've put that on a few slides myself, not really knowing where that came from. And maybe you should talk video into swapping the work, the work, the work for acts <laughs> not ads. But I'm sure that's been talked about it about how rational that potential positioning is. But you you're very much into the industry changing, culture shaping work. Yeah. Whisper, touch the pickle is a great example of that. In India, nobody talks about periods. It's treated like a bad word, a curse. What's worse, as soon as young girls hit puberty, they're introduced to many different don'ts. Don't sleep on the bed, don't enter the kitchen, don't water the plants, and the most ridiculous one of them all, don't touch the pickle jar. They're told that a bottle of pickle will rot when a menstruating woman touches it during their impure time. Whisper decided it was time to bust these myths. We launched Whisper Touch the Pickle. Um, the Gillette Women yeah. Against Lazy Stubble. It all started with women joining hands, forming the group Women Against Lazy Stubble. Women Against Lazy Stubble. And won't just take the lazy stubble. You know, it's yeah. in itself a, a protest and um, obviously Ariel Share the Load, which is you know such a famous campaign and I'm, I'm interested in these gifts that you talk about that culture gives you and how you, I guess, encourage the creatives you work with to be open to those those gifts that culture is is providing you with and if you had any um, stories you wanted to share around any of those campaigns. Yeah, so, you know, the whole thing is it's, it's a creative journey, right? I, I've moved through so many sort of lifetimes with different, different uh, ways of looking at creative and defining creative for myself. And then there comes a stage where you look at social tension points and you see how brands can resolve these conflicts and make a difference. And that's what happened when uh, I started BBDO, uh, looking at these social tension points. And, uh, and, and you knew that if you had to make a difference or resolve a conflict, you had to break something. So when we created Share the Load for Ariel, which is a PNG brand, a detergent brand, we, were, we questioned a very fundamental uh, thing that was happening in society, which is, why is laundry only a mother's job? It's such a simple line, such a simple thought. I remember when we got that, we said, shit, man, we've got something magical. It's, so, it's not creative. It's just a simple questioning. How come nobody questioned it? It's like, how can it be so simple? And yet no, nobody did it. Now we had to do something about that thought that we had and to resolve this conflict. Like I said before, we had to break something and we had to break authority. And I speak about protests and you spoke about protests and thank you for that. We had to, we had to get authority to apologize. And that's how we got that, the dad, the patriarch to apologize. Most Indian men believe household chores are a woman's job because growing up, they never saw their dads help out at home. And as a result, they too end up passing on this inequality to their children. So we launched Dads Share the Love. When a dad apologizes, something breaks, authority breaks, and that's how you get a breakthrough. You know, for me, I feel that if you really want to have a breakthrough, you've got to break something. And, and that's what it is, I suppose. You find a social conflict, you see if a brand can help, then you find a way of resolving it by breaking something. It feels like a formula. It may not work the way I said it, but it's roughly what it is. When you come up with those, um, those ideas, 
Is it common that it comes straight from the brief or do you often have that, like the tension and the idea first and then you go hunting for a client? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. It, it could happen either way. Yeah? I mm-hmm. mean, you guys know the process. It can yeah. come from anywhere. It can come backwards. It can come from the brief. But uh, Touch the Pickle and Share the Load came from the brief. But what we do was is we have something called a creative therapy session. We bring anybody and everybody into a room and we say, let's talk about the subject, not brands. We don't talk about all this. It's just at a human level. And we find that as we sort of get into sharing, it's almost like a therapy session. People start revealing things that research cannot reveal. You start going deeper and deeper into where human beings are coming from. And you hit the ocean flow of yourself. And sometimes after two or three hours, people are crying and telling you stuff about that, which you never knew. Research can never tell you. Your imagination can never tell you. We call it emotional archaeology. It's deep down, man. I mean, I remember doing something for eBay. And they said, we need a, we want a purpose. Can you guys come up with a purpose? It's like, what? Just manufacture a purpose for you guys? <laughs> We're an e-commerce company. This, this, what is this? But I said, let's give it a chance. So I called a lot of people into the room, not necessarily creative department, any department, 20 of us sitting around. And I said, let's talk about things, why we buy things. In the beginning, it was all about, you know, trying people trying to look cool about why they buy things. But as we went deeper and deeper, and I started revealing my own vulnerabilities, because that's part of the therapy thing. You, there is no authority in that. Everyone's equalized by their own vulnerabilities. I said, I, I said something that led to one of the young girls there saying, I buy things because my grandmother always wanted a boy and I was born a girl. So I buy things to prove to my grandmother that I'm better than any boy. Women in the group broke down. People began to break down. And there was so much more that was revealed after that. And I started feeling, are we manipulating this process? And I said, listen, we must stop. And people said, no, we we want this. We don't feel in any way that we are being used. And then a lot of beautiful things came out of that session. And one of the ideas we presented, which got approved, was was called Things Don't Judge. You know, eBay has 100 million things that don't judge. A skipping rope doesn't judge if you're 80 years old. Uh, A diya, a lamp, a Diwali lamp doesn't judge if you're Hindu, Muslim, Christian, whatever. You know, a ring doesn't judge uh, what your gender is. Uh, uh, You know, so things like that. Uh, 100 million things that don't judge. And, And that was the idea. And it was so, it was such a revelation for all of us. And I really love that because, you know, for me, creativity is always always about connection. You take two things, create something new and say, fuck, I never thought about it that way. I never looked at it that way. But creativity for me is also sensitivity in a world where no one is listening. So it's it's these different facets of creativity that, that I enjoy. And brands and advertising are an excuse to find it. And it's so cool when you um when you sort of when you first discover that seed to an idea and there's a lot of people in the room, because then when you craft that idea, everyone feels part of it, don't they? And that's such a wonderful thing. You know, rather than just two guys that were at the pub, you've got 20 yeah. people that all had a who put a little brick in the wall. And it's kind of I love it when that happens. It's, it's the best. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. You're then curating it, right? I mean, you yeah. got this book, but now you got to find your pattern. This is the first podcast where we've had two Pink Floyd references as well, just for <laughs> listeners. <laughs> See if you can sneak the hat trick in, JC. Right, go for it. <laughs> I think. I mean, that, that it's just amazing listening to those stories. Thank you so much. We've created this series because we want creators to be their best by embracing these sort of feelings of doubt around it. And you've one of the things that um you've said in one of your interviews is that you refer to failure, embarrassment, and rejection as friends of yours. Yeah. Um, and what do you mean by that? I mean, you know, the thing is you've when you've lived through all of that so often, uh, you try and find meaning in it, and, and then you realize that they were there not to screw you up. They were there so that you could keep moving. And so I said to myself, maybe all these things happen because, uh, you know, they're really your friends. I find success as a concept highly overrated because it does not let you grow from within. It's very outwardly. There's no inherent progress in success. It keeps you in the same place. It tells you, you know, you're awesome. So stay where you are, because if you don't stay where you are, something could go wrong. While failure allows you to move on. Failure is pure discovery of yourself. They say failure is a, is a stepping stone to success. I said, what? Failure is a stepping stone to success? It's a stepping stone to yourself. It's got nothing to do with success. You know, so you discover part of yourself you never knew. Are you comfortable and, then? Are you comfortable in success? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not comfortable in success. I, I, I seek the sort of kick in the ass of failure, which makes you find new things. I, I find success when things go right. I, it, it scares me. I remember in David, we took all our awards and we melted it and, and, and we gave each other a slap saying, I'm David. So let's not get this, the, the visual, the visual of all these awards coming and screwing your future. Well, that way, that, that's that's good when all your awards are metal. <laughs> I, think, I think there's agencies out there with tons of shortlists and you melt yeah, yeah. You can't really melt paper or plastic. Yeah, here's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, yeah. A, here's a small jar of ash from all of the shortlist certificates. <laughs> that's a good yeah. one. <laughs> but, but ash is also lovely. Yeah. True. I was going to say this whole, this whole idea of um, the pat on the back versus the chip on your shoulder you know that that that, that I, I do think we are having some of these conversations where people aren't really motivated so much by the pat on the back it's more the chip on your shoulder <laughs> to yeah. to actually kind of prove 100%. again you know because yeah. oh yeah yeah it's, I, you know it's like what I can do next rather than what I've just done I think that there is a lot of motivation in that yeah yeah, I, I suppose pat on the back or, or an award is like currency. It's understood by people across the world. So you exchange it. But it's 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 only a currency. It's not the fuel, you know. So many of the people that we've spoken to are just out there to prove people, certain people wrong or certain industries wrong. You know, they've got this, as you say, success isn't fuel, is it? Success is validation. The fuel is proving to yourself that you're better or proving somebody wrong or, you know, or just just being tireless in your pursuit of doing something that's better than you did before. Um, it's a really interesting thought because, I mean, you know, you, you go to Cannes, you get the medal, and from the outside you think you've done it. But from the people that have done it, as you say, success isn't the big thing. It's the making it that's the big thing. 
usually. Yeah. I mean, I remember we won campaign of the decade when I was in Lintas. And then after that, I started getting so many offers. And I said, no, this is not what I want. So I, we dropped everything. And that's how I started David. Because I said, am I man enough to start again? Was it me? Am I really creative? Can I really do this again? So, so I threw it all up and started from scratch just to sort of see if there's another way. What's next for JC then? Been at BBDO for a while now? I've been here for, two, yeah, I set it up 12, 12 years ago. It's, it's been amazing, but now I'm scared because, you know, it's the Newton's law of motion mm. allowing you to be there over and over again. So, but I'm hoping that we've created an environment which will allow us to break through into something new, man. And, and that's what I'm seeking. What, what is the new thing? What's the next thing? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm seeking. I'm looking for signs. Maybe this is a sign. Our conversation is a sign. You guys are so beautifully articulate, man. When you speak, it sounds like poetry. So make me think. <laughs> I think say it to you, man. But um, I mean, there was an opportunity to work in a Pink Floyd lyric there, JC, when you said you were searching. I was waiting for it to pop out. I was going to wrap this up. Like I, I had two ways to, one, kind, of, kind, of, to, to kind of say, Josie, good luck with your next protest song. But I actually, I'm, I'm going to say, I think your work is a bit like an iPhone launch. I honestly do. I think, I think if you look at that kind of collection of women against stubble, uh, uh, lazy stubble, or you look at touch the pickle, or you look at share the load, it's kind of like their, their, their gradients of, of campaigns of size and scale. And, you know, I think we're just looking forward to the next one of those. How is that yes, like you know, a phone, Michael? I don't understand. Because I think, I think people queue up for the next iPhone. When you, when, when, when you look at the work that goes on in India, India of all places, yeah. the, the, just the sheer volume of audience that gets behind a campaign is phenomenal. And I don't think yeah. we have that in many markets. And I think those campaigns like Touch the Pickle, which I'll reference again, is, is so culture-changing, is so, like, hundreds of years of tradition just 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 like smashed on on the ground like a like the jar itself um and, yeah. and that's what i mean by that i think it's kind of like what what is the next one of those yeah thank you man that's a huge compliment i hope we find something yeah yeah we look forward to yeah. that I, thank still you, Josie. I still don't understand how it's i'll tell you after and while steve is playing the music i'll explain very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.